Let me get a 10-piece hot, extra crispy, extra wet. Let me get a blue cheese. Matter of fact, two. I'm on celery and fries and a peach drink. And make sure my fries is hot because they was cold last time. to the Extra Crispy, Extra Wet Podcast, hosted by the Young Aunties. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the Extra Crispy, Extra Wet Podcast, hosted by us, the Young Aunties. Y'all know y'all could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. Now we're down here in the South Atlanta area to be exact. Y'all know down here we say it's rude to walk in the room. Not speaking, introduce yourself. So we're gonna do that first. Kay, kick us off. What's going on, everybody? It's Auntie Kirby, aka Where's Kirby Ann, aka the West Side Wooden. And I'm checking in from the SWATs as usual. Yay, yay. And y'all know everybody need a shooter on your squad. We got ours. Hey y'all, it's Auntie Kaylee, aka Killer Kaylee with No Kills, aka the original Kaylee, established in 1985. Hashtag stop gentrifying my name. Y'all gonna stop gentrifying her name. <laughs> And y'all know who I am. It's your favorite homegirl, Nick, from the old school. Locked on you, but we put it on you. And we're mm. glad to have y'all in here with us one more again. Y'all see, we got two uncles on the squad today. And I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Mr. Bayo, tell the people hello. Hey, how y'all doing? How y'all doing? My name's Bayo, uh, 33 years old, currently living in Stone Mountain, Georgia right now. Currently engineer, black male, male mental health advocate, and um, just ready to share what I know. That now. <laughs> all right, all right. And Akeem. Hey, what's going on, y'all? It's your boy, Black Dove, a.k.a. Akeem, out here in Smyrna, Georgia, 35 years old, a young black professional in corporate America, and also an international artist about to do big things in the next few years. All right, there it is. Y'all hear who the uncles are. We're glad to have y'all with us. Thank you for being here. We're here to have some good conversation to communicate Y'all know how that goes. But before we get into that, we got to get that good old wing order of the day. Auntie Kirby, what's on your plate, ma'am? You know, being that this is our season finale, I got to keep it as Atlanta as I possibly can. So go ahead and run me a 20-piece extra crispy hot lemon pepper uh, from JR Crickets. I want that chunky blue cheese. I want extra celery, no carrots, because hashtag keto. Um, I'm also going to do some water, because I can't do no peach drink on keto either. Uh, so I'm gonna have to keep it chill out here. I mean, I just, I'm just, you know, trying to burn fat, not muscle. Um, so yeah, keep it super duper Atlanta. Uh, but what I will do uh, to try to keep myself somewhat aligned is I'm gonna take a whiff of a fry pie, a peach fry pie from Varsity. I ain't gonna eat it. Just a whiff. Just a whiff. Just All right. Whiff. I support it, Uncle Akeem. What What does it look Man, like? For you? I'm a, I'm gonna do something similar, but I'm gonna switch it up. I'm going to get the honey hot with lemon pepper sprinkles, whipped fries on the side. I just had it at Dugan's, so I'm going to go back to Dugan's and get that right there on Ponce. You know what I'm saying? Right. With a with now, a water yes. on the side. Do you do ranch or blue cheese? Blue cheese. Blue cheese. Do you do the straight cut fries or crinkle fries? It don't even matter, but, you know, it is all the same. All right. I heard that. Uh, Auntie <laughs> Kaylee, what's it looking like? Um, I'm filling for a salad, but instead of regular chicken, I want the Nashville hot chicken with maybe a honey vinaigrette situation with a side of ranch and some water. All right, keeping it spicy as usual. 
<laughs> I heard that with the vinaigrette, you know, keep it classy. I, I hear you. <laughs> and Uncle Bayo, what what we eating on today, sir? From the 15-piece honey hot with straight fries. Sometimes it don't matter, but with ranch instead, that nasty blue cheese. And I'm going to get a side <laughs> of an old-fashioned. Is everybody Come drinking on, water? Man. <laughs> old-fashioned. You old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. All right, with the, with the little fancy glass. Yeah, from the little ice cube in there too. With a big piece of ice cube. I, I hear you. I, I, I he on his grown man. I I hear you. He tried he tried to show you up a king, but I ain't I ain't gonna call him out. Though. Um, <laughs> blue cheese for the old school. You know, it's all good though. It's classic. I'm chunky blue cheese all day. That's, that's where I'm at with it. Um, all y'all eating good. I guess we keeping it straight Atlanta today. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna risk it all, I guess, because I'm allergic to citrus. But I'm gonna do a ten-piece lemon pepper, extra crispy and extra wet with the chunkiest of blue cheese, because big girls like sauce. All right, um, <laughs> here we go. That is our wing order of the day. Up next, uh, I think it is time for that auntie of the week. Auntie Kirby, what you got for us? You know, I figured. You know, this is season five. We've been super duper consistent. So, auntie of the week is us. All the aunties of the Extra Crispy Extra Web podcast. So, for Killer Kaylee for being super consistent and participating. Thank you for being an amazing history maker. To you, Auntie Nick, for being the hostess, the most illustrious host uh, that we have, the hostess with the mostest, and keeping us in check and in line, uh, towing the line and being neutral when necessary, but making sure the kids. You know, stay in place. And to all the other aunties, Auntie Yo-Yo, Auntie Shandy, Auntie Jazzy, Auntie Trisha, Auntie Nadia, all the other aunties uh, that have contributed to making Extra Crispy Extra Web Podcast what it is and getting us this far. So our auntie of the week is the young aunties. <laughs> and to you, Auntie Kirby, yes. for even starting this platform, having the idea and bringing us all along and, and, and dealing with us every step of the way. <laughs> Not dealing with, enjoying the presence and, and the love and the, and the impact and the creative energy. Not dealing with, I don't deal with y'all. I, I deal with the IRS, but I don't deal with y'all. <laughs> I understood. But I love that. Well, that is our auntie of the week. Period. Put a Z on it. <laughs> love it. All right, well, y'all know this is where we go into our menu. We do Atlanta topics first, but we're going to change it up a little bit today because we got these wonderful uncles on the line, and we're going to have some good conversation and dialogue. But as a little icebreaker, because I know it is kind of hard to just dive into the the, the deep topics, um, I figured we'd talk about a, a recent love and relationships um, uh, conversation that's been in the social media sphere uh when it pertains to black love and marriage and divorce mm-hmm. and get everybody's uh take on this topic so singer neo everybody's familiar with neo actor singer writer producer mm-hmm. very talented young man um part-time ninja turtle from what i hear um <laughs> recently got divorced or is divorcing um from his second time wife because they were married and divorced before crystal renee mm. Mm-hmm. Um, she has come out and talked about him being uh, a cheater. He actually has had fathered another child um, with another woman during the course of their marriage, their second marriage. Um, during this time of the marriage, Neo insisted that Crystal not work. That was an agreement that they had within the marriage. However, now that they're divorcing, he does not want to pay alimony and he does not want her to have the home 
the marital home to live there with the children. Um, this has come with a lot of support for Neo. It's come with a lot of support for Crystal Renee and criticism for Neo and criticism for Crystal. I want to get you guys' um, take on that whole situation, specifically about if you insist that a spouse does not work, is it fair to then not provide spousal support after the end of the marriage? Um, Kirby, I'll start with you. You know, I think this can happen in multiple ways. For me personally, I enjoy having something to do. Uh, so even if I did look into potentially or consider being married again, I would like to be working. I'd like to have my own money personally. If it's a circumstance like in this situation, like where uh, my husband insisted that I don't work, I personally would ask for an allowance within the marriage. Because if you're telling me that I can't use my labor while we're married, I need to, like, there needs to be some guarantees here. Uh, obviously, you know, we may or may not have children. That's cool or whatever. But, like, I need money going into my 401k and to other portfolio investments that I was making prior to us getting married or, you know, making whatever this commitment is. So if you insist on it, like, I, yeah, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to work some things out. It might be a little post nup kind of situation going on. Now, if I decided he gotta, not to, he got to pay what he weigh. If, if that's what you want, yeah, that's, that's what you want. Um, now, if I was like, well, babe, I don't want to work. It was my decision. Then it might be a different kind of conversation because I'm making that particular choice. But if it's a situation where you're just like, no, I don't want you to work, like. You're gonna have to like you're gonna have to make it worth worth my while. Cause also I didn't go to school and put forth 12 years in corporate America just to like not finish it out and make sure that I get all my investments and all the money that I uh that I'm owed by this system, this American system uh that I have to live in. Um so if it's something that you insist on doing, I definitely expect you to you may not be compensating me at the exact same level of what is available to me out here in this white man's world, but you're gonna have to come up off of something. Um mm -hmm. yeah. I'm sorry. That's just that's how I agree or disagree. I would say my personal opinion is this: if we made an agreement for you not to work, then I actually provided you a certain lifestyle. Then, at the end of the day, I've kind of prevented you from actually doing your own thing. Not really prevented, but we kind of came to an agreement that you're not going to do your own thing. So afterwards, if we get divorced, I don't really feel like I could leave you with nothing. I feel like I should give you something that helps you at least get you back started on your feet. Um, I mean, I don't know how long alimony pays for. I think it's determined by the length of the marriage. But um, I would say if that was an agreement we made on marriage and I provided you with a certain lifestyle, I mean, let's be honest, Neil's you know, multimillionaire, so he can actually have access to do that. So I think you, if we're married, I'm raising kids, well, she's raising kids and everything else like that. And afterwards, we agreed not to work. I feel like if, if she's going to have primary custody of kids, number one, I mean, outside of child support, I feel like she should actually have something that actually helps her get her life together in a certain way. Maybe not the same kind of lifestyle, because I don't agree with giving somebody $30 million just because you know, I was married for two years. But if it's something like helping them get it back on their feet, getting them a house, getting situated with the kids, make sure that they live in, you know, decent for a while, then I, I don't I don't really don't have a problem with that because that was a great we came up to about you not working. Auntie Kaylee, does he owe or no? Do yeah, he owes. What's wrong with him? Um, in Georgia, divorces, uh, what the judges and courts look at is what is equitable, so what is fair. Um, and in this situation, it's fair for her to get her money. I'm not really familiar with this Crystal Renee. Is that her name? Yes. Um, <clears throat> surprising that Neil's out here cheating 
considering how he looks, but that's not the point. He's being really petty. <laughs> um, like you're rich, you're rich. You married this woman twice, and then you cheated on her in like the second uh, time marrying this woman, and you told her she couldn't work. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, nah, nah. Give her, give her some money. Um, you know, we don't even know what her potential earnings are. I mean, I don't know if she had a career before um, marrying Neo, but um, obviously she hasn't been working for quite some time. I'm assuming, I don't know how long they were married. Um, so she's been out of the game as far as like whatever profession she was in, if she had one before meeting Neo um, and, and plus with the kids and all of that, if that's what you wanted, you wanted Susie Homemaker and she was at home making the home, pay her for that, compensate her for that. So you can be out here in these streets getting other people pregnant and doing whatever it is that you do. Singing with fedoras. Bring it on home for us. Make make it make sense. Um, I mean, I feel like she's owed the alimony because it's not fair. You've prevented her from working for all these years. So she hasn't been able to make her own income or bring her worth to the table. You demanded that she stayed home. And number two, you had a child outside of the marriage. So you got to look at it from her standpoint, you know, emotional distress on her end. So I just, I think it's fair, you know, simple and plain. I think it's fair that, you know, you should still support her and the children that you guys have together. I really think he should leave her the home as well. At the end of the day, he's perfectly capable of getting another place to live at this point. He's a multimillionaire, like we said. So I think it's fair that the alimony should be paid. Yeah. I think this is a cautionary deal for people. Um, to really look at these type of things before you decide to get married and before you make decisions in the moment that could be life changing. Um, I know a lot of people determine, you know, determine who's going to work and how they're going to work in different relationships, different marriages. But this can be the result. Um, as far as Krista Renee, I'm not too, too familiar with her, but I do know that her looks were a part of her job. Um, so after you take a woman out the game by having multiple pregnancies and staying at home. It took her out the game. So yeah, her money is affected by that. Um, so I, I think Neo got something wrong with him based on his past relationships and present, even with Monietta having her get her tube side to where she couldn't have no kids no more. Yeah, so in his past relationship with Monietta Shaw, who had his, his previous children, they were engaged for years. They agreed that they didn't want to have any more children after they had two. I think they had a boy and a girl that were, said we're done. The agreement was they were both going to have a, um, he was going to have a vasectomy. She was going to get her tubes tied and that they were going to be done. Well, she went first um, and got the tubes tied and he never got a vasectomy. So mm. then he was no longer able to have children even moving, moving forward in you know future relationships. And as y'all can see, he's still you know, trash. I, I yeah. never do. Yeah, yeah. This is the real Neo Schaefer, as I think that's his real name. Um, so I think this again, women and men, but we're talking about, I guess, a man right now. Women need to be very careful when you're dealing with men and look at their past and how they treated people and what they did and stop thinking you're the exception to the rule. If mm. you did it to somebody before, honey, he would do you wrong too. Um, especially if, and I guess we're going to get into this conversation a little while, he hasn't done any, as people like to say, healing or growing. Um, you're getting the same old man that he been. So with that, any other comments on this on this subject? I just want to... No. 
I want to yeah, hear where like you need to meditate for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. He need to go back in the sewer and talk to Master Splinter and figure out what's going on because these decisions that he's making it just ain't making no sense to me. They're not. Too much cheese on the pizza. Way too much cheese on that pizza. Um, anyway, moving on. So I guess that takes us to, into the conversation that we want to have today here. And uh, Kirby, you can jump in because I know you had some specific um, questions and conversation that you wanted to have. But that one of the things that Christopher Renee says is that her husband is a narcissist, mm-hmm. um, which takes us into that mental health um, uh, flow and how that affects the dynamics between Black men and Black women. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kirby, what did, what did you think, uh, where did you want to start this conversation off? Well, you know, I think that, um, to your point in mentioning the word narcissism, which is a word that gets thrown around as it relates to mental health, um, a lot these days. Um, and that was one of the key conversations that we wanted to have with uh, Bio and Uncle Akeem is about black men's mental health, um, and specifically their experiences as black men, um, with the mental health, um, industry and practices. So I guess my first question would be, um, when was when was the first time that you all felt, and either of you can answer, um, when was the first time you all felt like it was time to start paying attention or putting more attention onto your mental health? Um, go ahead, bye. Go ahead, you can go. No, no, you go, you go ahead, because you, you, you guess. Go ahead, man. All right, for me, um, I can go back to the beginning of 2020, um, and I it hit me. And it happened simultaneously with the whole lockdown and the quarantine. And I was just uh, ending a long-term relationship. And I found myself in a mode of depression and kind of realizing why am I going through this pattern of different relationships, but they're ending the same way. So I had to look at myself, okay, what am I doing? What am I uh, bringing to the table? What am I contributing to this whole situation? So I had to look in the mirror and then I told myself, you know what, let me let me go to therapy. Um, And even when I started therapy, I kind of felt embarrassed. I felt that I had lost. I felt weak. I felt less than. But um, going through the whole process, I I just realized that I was kind of hindering myself to being the best version of me, you know, and that that last relationship I went through kind of was a lesson, even though it hurt, it was painful. But I had to realize a lot of stuff I've done to other people throughout the years. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's really what kickstarted everything. You know, I learned through the process I was very selfish. Um, the way I delivered my delivery when actually addressing issues was off. Uh, I was impatient. You know, so things like that, you know, I had to learn how to be uh, comfortable with opening up and actually addressing what I felt. I never growing up, I, I didn't learn how to do that. I didn't see that from a Nigerian household. We don't really show emotions. We're taught to be strong. We're taught to be okay. You have to have thick skin. You got to keep going, you know, so. I, I found myself relearning a lot of things and unlearning things as well. So, how did you untangle what was the source of your depression? Like, because you broke up at the beginning of a pandemic, mm-hmm. 
experienced, you know, depression just because they couldn't go outside. Not me. Mm-hmm. I'm introverted, so I was totally unaffected. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> but how did you yeah. untangle, like, what was the real source or attribute, like, um, the relationship kind of showed me um, what my real issue was. You know what I'm saying? Even though that led to the depression, I also learned from that that a lot of people I was hanging around with, the energy that was around me. It won't. It wasn't just only the relationship. It was a lot of friends and a lot of people that I did business with that wasn't good for me. You know, and that kind of led to my depression because it was draining. I'm the type of person to have a good heart. So I put a lot into my relationships, whether it be a friendship or brotherhood or even, of course, my significant other. I put a lot into it, put a lot of effort because I have a good heart. So I I saw myself being a people pleaser, too. Yeah. So that was the root of my depression and also a lot of things I went through in my childhood, a lot of rooted things that I never really dealt with that kind of got exposed in dealing with that relationship. And that's why I kind of treated my significant other at the time based on what I went through in the past. Hmm. So, yeah. The, um, the things that you just identified, um, the, the, the traits that you were having selfish, all mm-hmm. those things, did you tell that person that you acknowledge those things? Did y'all ever have that conversation after you realized those things? Hmm. Never. Because yeah. yeah. when you're in it, you don't realize what you're doing. You think you're right. Yeah. You know, at that time, my ego was like, nah, I'm a man. What I say goes. I'm not trying to hear what you're saying. Whatever, whatever, you're just nagging. So I've never have gotten had a conversation with that person. It Is was just... Say what now? Is it a possibility to have that conversation, to mm. make those amends, to acknowledge to that person? And the reason I ask is because okay. I listening to you say that I realized I've never had um, an ex really come back and say anything like that. And I'm thinking, wow. like, even if I don't believe in closure. I don't need it. Um, yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people do. And I think that I was just sitting here thinking it probably would actually mean something just to hear somebody yeah. say, you know what? I want to acknowledge that I didn't know it then, but through the work I've been doing, I now realize mm-hmm. I was X, Y, and Z towards you towards our situation, and I apologize for that. Or even if you don't apologize, I acknowledge it, and I'm growing from that. Is, is that something that you could or would do? Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a possibility. I don't mind doing that. You know, the person I am today in 2022 versus 2019 going into 2020 is, is, is a different version. So yeah. I wouldn't even mind going to my ex and, hey, listen, I know what I put you through. You know, I, I understand why you reacted the way you did as well. And to, you know, actually give you that, I guess, like you said, closure. A lot of people, I mean, a lot of people don't want it, but, you know, saying give you that closure and kind of understand why I was acting the way I was. So you're not confused and you can understand where I was coming from. So. Is it a reason that hasn't happened yet? <laughs> um... The way it ended was so bad that we're not on talking terms. So, and, and and as a man, I can say that I haven't come to a place to where I would even want to initiate conversation because the way it ended was so disrespectful. So I'll be honest with you guys. I I wouldn't want to initiate conversation, but if it's presented to me, I'll be open to it for sure. Understandable. 
Bio, I think you were about to. No, no, I was just piggybacking off what you were saying when he talked about the conversation about talking to people from your past as far as telling them, you know, understanding how you actually hurt them or how the relationship impacted each other. I do mm -hmm. think it's important also just for the growth, you know, within yourself and for that person, because a lot of times, you know, when we leave everything on the floor and it's not a conversation, it kind of doesn't help the healing process for both people. Because sometimes when you have a conversation, it kind of gives a level of self-awareness for both individuals to see where they played a part in the whole situation also because a lot of times when things end for example Kim said things end bad usually people are on a defensive side of the situation so you're, you're just full of defense towards this person and let's be real this is George Atlanta you, people run into each other all day all the time yeah. everybody's six degrees somebody else but I feel like those conversations regardless of how things ended you know whether disrespectful or not I think it gives people a sense of just maturity and the growth within yourself because at the end of the day most of us don't have hate for people you know what i'm saying we may have hurt feelings hurt emotions but most of us don't hate somebody mm -hmm. so i feel like in times it whether she reaches out or you reaching out i think it'll still be good for both of y'all you know because it helps the process for both individuals yeah. just my because I've, I've done it before but i realized mm -hmm. it helped me so that understanding how i made somebody feel i think that's the most important part also because a lot of times we don't really truly understand how somebody feels by our actions also, especially when things just dead end, you know. Um, and it, it gives you a sense of self-awareness, I'll be honest. It gives you self, a sense of self-awareness to understand parts of you, you may need to make major points on that, keep working at it, you know. Because, you know, we all change, we, we work on certain things with ourselves, but there's always those key one, two, three things that if we don't put the most time in, it can be the next downfall of our next relationship, you know. Yeah. It's like a me, completion. Can... Like if I give you an example, a visual, you're running a race, and every race has what a finish line, right? So imagine you're running this this race, and you get all the way up to the finish line, and you stop, you just walk off, but you never cross that line. Mm -hmm. And it's just that that one, a few more steps, and you would have crossed that line. So that's like those few extra steps. Just finish that race, cross that line, and put an end to it. Okay. I was just going to, you know, add a little bit as it relates to the closure piece of the conversation. I actually, prior to myself and my ex divorcing, we went through intensive uh, marriage counseling and individual counseling throughout 2021. And um, I have yet to really get an apology, but I throughout the throughout the therapy just because self awareness was not something that was hard for me. I was already a self aware person, maybe a little too self aware to the point of self consciousness. But throughout the process, as things were unfolding, I was continu continuously apologizing. Hey, I realized during this conversation, during this particular fight, I said X, and I see that it impacted you in Y way, and I want to apologize, and I'm working on that behavior. Um, and so the reason why I bring that up is that sometimes even when you do apologize to someone, it doesn't mean that they accept it or that they even understand it. And just because to your point, uh, Auntie Nick, just because somebody doesn't apologize to you doesn't mean that you can't gain closure. Because what I was able to come to was, all right, I know all the things that I did and said that were wrong, all the misperceptions, miscommunications that happened on my end and the things that I either misinterpreted or um, interpreted accurately, um, but was continuously being gaslit in some way or the other, either through behavior or verbiage. Um, sometimes, um, again, that closure is not going to come, but at the very least, 
throughout whatever the process is, gaining a sense of self and like Bio said, a sense of self-awareness and like, okay, I know that my communication was terrible um, at these particular instances. I know that I was maybe being a bully in a particular um, area. I know that I was gaslighting my partner in some particular space in our relationship uh, or even at hominem insulting them, belittling them. Um, or having narcissistic tendencies toward, uh, towards that person or accepting narcissistic behavior from that person. Um, so just even if you don't always get that level of closure with that other person, I think it's for me, in my experience, the most important of getting that internal closure. Of, I understand what I went through. I understand how I participated in it. And I also understand how not to carry that type of energy be, and behavior into other interactions, whether it be romantic or platonic. You're on mute next. Uh, I wanted to go back to your original question, Kirby, so we can get um, Bio's response. Yeah. Uh, what made you uh, realize that it was time for you to put more attention on your mental health? Um. Okay. For me personally, I would say this. When I, I first started therapy, when I was with maybe 23, 24, because of just, you know, graduating college, just trying to get, you know, all things together. But I want to, <clears throat> I kind of want to bypass it. I think for me, that therapy was for the external things around me that was going on. So those years I spent maybe 23 to maybe 27, 28, it was more about external things that was going on in my life while I started therapy. I would say 29, maybe what, 2020, 2019, that's when I realized there was a lot of internal things within myself that I work on. So I'll say for me, when I first started even seeing a black male therapist, it kind of shifted a lot of things for me as far as just mental health in general, because I was able to talk to somebody who kind of related to my background, but who also understood basically just growing up as a black male. So just certain challenges and instincts that I had to deal with there. But um, I guess for me, the biggest thing I had to, I guess, so I guess the question you said, when was it that it? Yeah, was there a particular like turning point? And you mentioned like kind of putting a, a place of delineation between the external and the internal. Those internal things that you felt like you need to work on, what was a turning point where you realized, all right, there's some things going on, whether it's a lack of self-awareness, um, negative self-talk, or whatever the particular issue was, what was that turning point for you? Um, it's the same like a king said. It was it was a relationship. You know, it was a relationship that, you know, you know, was in at a time and then we separated. But during the time we had a, you know, back and forth cycle of stuff that was going on, but it it was to the point I realized, okay, something's going on within you. Because what will happen is even after the relationship ended, I will have to do so much backtracking and start picking up key moments, key moments where I could have responded better or did something better. And I'm like, okay, why I didn't do it. So when you go to therapy, you start realizing, about, I start realizing the internal things that I was hiding. So when situations came, when it came to conflict or expressing emotions or talking about certain things, I started realizing my anxiety and my ego and my pride, I would probably say got in the way of a lot of different things because I had the issue of, not want to look weak in front of somebody. So when things got tough in relationship, I looked at expressing my emotions as something that was weak. But through therapy, I would say I started realizing that having emotions as a man is actually human. I mean, normal, to be honest. And I think for me, that was one of the biggest turning points when I really started applying the internal work. Like, okay, but even though you think this way, this is not actually what's happening. You know, that was, that was one of my biggest issues, I would say, as far as to self-awareness. I'm not going to lie. I, I lack self-awareness. I did because I would feel like everything was happening to me and I would not think about the actions I did that was taking place that caused the reactions from her. Mm. So even in a relationship, I was just sitting there like, okay, you're doing this to me. You're doing this to me. But then I started understanding that 
sometimes it's really just the small things. And I think that's one thing we don't think about also. The small things you do with cure relationships. You know, it's, it's never really the super big issues. It's usually the accumulation of the really, really small things that happen. And I, I would say for me, it gave me a better self-awareness to know the small things that's happening just within myself. And so like when I started interacting with my friends and everybody else, I started noticing things within myself or how I responded to certain things, how I would communicate certain things. Same with thing with the king. You started you start growing more and realizing certain people around you are kind of influencing you in a little bit. You know what I'm saying? So you, you're hearing people's opinions about certain things in life and you start realizing, like I came, I was a people pleaser. I like, okay, I wanted to make people happy. I felt like love came from making others happy and doing for them everything else like that. But I like, okay, am I happy? And I think that was the biggest thing I had to realize for myself also in turn, I realized I wasn't happy. You know, I enjoyed making other people happy, but I realized until I found that source of happiness for myself, what I was doing was just kind of pointless and I was just draining myself. So what happened was I would drain myself completely, blame my partner, and then leave a relationship. Because at the end, I would feel empty. But I realized it really wasn't them. It was how I viewed relationships and what I was given to it. I was neglecting myself in some ways, but in some ways I was trying to make somebody be what I wanted them to be in a sense, but in a sense, not really fully accepting them for who they are. So self-acceptance, you know, is really big. You know, like I think one thing we talked about last time was like people don't realize how hard it is to change yourself. If you if you understand how hard it is to change yourself, you will stop trying to change other people. Fair. But Haley, does any of the things that the gentleman are speaking about does that echo true in any of your past relationships? Does it sound familiar? Um, both of them mentioned being selfish. That definitely sounds familiar. <laughs> and I don't appreciate it. Also, yeah, closure would be great for me. I would love if the ex could come back and be like, hey, Kaylee, this is where I fucked up. That was really, really shitty what I did to you. Like, you should not have blamed yourself for X, Y, and Z. And I'd be like, you know what? God damn it, you're right. And I will do it. And I'm so glad that we are on the same page. I could move on. Thank you. That would mean a lot, actually. Um, yeah. I had a question for the guys because they both mentioned being selfish, but then also being people pleasers. How do y'all reconcile those two ideas? Or do you think you're people pleasing, but maybe not even pleasing the person? Or, or I don't know, do you think you're getting far in actually pleasing who you're with? Or are you people pleasing for something within yourself? No, I, I, would, I would answer that question. Oh, I would say it's something um, for me personally. I would say something within myself. So psychologically, I, for me, for years, I thought if I please everybody around me, right, friends, significant others, whatever, what have you, I would feel like, okay, I can be accepted. Yeah. I was yearning yeah. acceptance. I didn't want to be the outsider. I didn't want to be different. I was scared to be alone. So that's what that was the root of me people pleasing. I wanted acceptance. Well, no, yeah. I, and I guess my question isn't that necessarily, but do you actually think you were successful in pleasing those people? Or do you think that you ever were grinding your gears thinking you were pleasing that person? I mean, did you know that would, what the person wanted? Yeah, I think I think for me is, I'll, I'll ask for myself, I say I feel like the selfishness and the people pleasing part kind of plays together because I was doing things because I wanted a certain reaction out of them instead of doing it for 
just to just the sake of the relationship you know what i'm saying like i said before you know loving people in their own love language is completely different from loving somebody in your own so it's like i was doing certain things or acting certain ways that made this person happy because i wanted like you said a certain level of acceptance you know i wanted a certain level of validation like okay cool i'm gonna do all this i'm gonna do all this some things even you're not even asking for i'm gonna do anyway because i didn't want to lose the acceptance of that person and that's like i said it's just friends family even relationships you would you get to a point so in a sense it's a it's a level of selfishness because at the end of the day you're not really doing it for them at the end of the day you're doing it for yourself so yep. if they don't give you they don't give you the reaction that you're expecting it destroys you you know what i'm saying because at the end of the day you're thinking oh this person should like this should like this and if they're like oh okay well they give you low energy for it you get mad at them and you blame them and realize it was this is you trying to get something out of them you're doing something genuinely that they actually really wanted or appreciated so that's why i say i feel like the people pleasing and selfishness kind of mixes together and and to piggyback off of what bio just said um when i was in it right uh at that time i'm thinking i am pleasing the person specifically my significant other you know i'm thinking i am pleasing them but in hindsight just what bio said i'm doing it to get a reaction you know to be satisfied to be accepted now looking back at it i didn't really take the time to get to know that person's wants or needs i wasn't emotionally securing my significant other at the time so i'm just going off of what i think is right for them but not actually asking them or or seeing what concerns them to make them feel at ease so in hindsight no i wasn't pleasing them no i wasn't but at the time i thought i was yeah yeah emotional security is big man i i, I definitely yeah. feel that i definitely <laughs> what um what makes you all because i mean we've we've definitely been talking about what things that you all may have uh performed in your relationships but tell us as as men what makes you all feel emotionally secure as you all have been going through your healing journeys what are the things that you figured out that you need emotionally out of a relationship whether it's romantic platonic or otherwise I would say for me, when it comes to my emotions, um, someone, one thing, okay, let, let me, let me put it this way. Everybody's not going to understand your emotions. So that's, that's first, but somebody willing to try to understand the emotion that you're going through, I think is very important to me because like I said, what I'm feeling at certain times, I may not be able to fully express my taking the time to actually attempt to see how I'm feeling. It's a certain level of care for me. I would say, okay, more this person has my back. Um, on top of that, I would sit here and say, just uh, discussing our feelings and emotions to each other, level that we both feel vulnerable doing it. You know, if, if I'm able to express certain things and you're expressing certain things back that are probably deeper than yourself without us trying to shelter or protect ourselves. So emotional vulnerability, I would say, helps me feel very awesome. I know for me, it's uh, more of a support thing and also I like to have a woman who's going to speak life into me because every day I'm not going to be strong to be like, okay, I can do this. I'm going to have my days when I'm down on myself or I feel depressed. Or I can't do it today. So I need her to be my backbone and speak life. And be like, oh, nah, this is who you are. You're a king. You're my king. So for me, that would be what I need emotionally. What if she's not able to do that? Then it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work <laughs> at all. <laughs> Very simple to play. 
what I would say is have that conversation also. Yeah. You know, have that conversation with them and say, hey, listen, I'm not going to be okay every day. None of us are okay every day. I say, listen, if we're going to be together, please understand some things you at certain times, because a lot of things we think is really people don't have, you can learn. Anybody can learn mm -hmm. how to be uplifting to somebody. Even if it just takes reading a book, Google or YouTube videos, you can learn to be more uplifting. Or even if the words you say 100% genuine, but knowing that you're doing it for your partner to help them in a damn moment, it still means a lot. So having that conversation about it and making that a really big priority, I think it's important also. Now, if they just don't want to do it after that, then like Dean said, this person's not for me. Yep. I love that you mentioned that because I've had conversations with men, and I'm sure there's women who do it too, <clears throat> excuse me, who will let their partner like essentially dig themselves in a hole. And it's like, yeah, they're just like sitting back kind of waiting. Like, yeah, you know, this is what I actually want, but they're not doing it. Um, I'm not going to tell them, you know, um, they need to figure it out or they should know better. Or it's so obvious, you know, I shouldn't have to have those conversations. Um, <clears throat> or a person's act like doing something, actively doing something. And they'll say, hey, that's what they want to do. You know, I don't like it, but I'm not going to I'm not going to let them know. Um, and I find that that's just like crazy. But there's a lot of people who think like that, like either you get me or you don't or either you naturally do something um, or you don't naturally do something. Um, and sometimes the other person might not even know that's a need and they're perfectly capable of providing it, but they don't know that you need it to do it, you know? And that's a lack of emotional maturity, which is why I was asking the question about, you know, as we all go through these different journeys, what are we learning about what emotional security means for us as individuals? So like uh, Bio mentioned love languages earlier, for some people utilizing love languages is a way of building emotional security with one another. The way that I behave um, and communicate to you, whether it's the words of affirmation or the gift giving or acts of service or some of the other love languages, those are ways of building emotional security um, as well. Um, with that in mind, though, and uh, I'm going to give it back to, to Nick in just a second, um, as it relates to emotional security, I wanted to step into a conversation around intimacy. What have you all learned um, through your healing journeys about what intimacy, whether it's emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, intellectual intimacy, financial in intimacy, what have you all learned in those aspects about yourselves that you know you want to carry into your next relationships or just future relationships in general? And what are the things that you've learned that you want to leave behind? Um, go ahead, Ken. Uh, for me, um, I know after going through my whole process of therapy and whatnot and learning, I'm, it is still a process. It's an everyday process. It's a journey. I know for me, I had an issue with emotional intimacy. So as far as being affectionate and being there for her and actually the way I speak to her about certain things when she's having a bad day and make sure my delivery is on point. That's something moving forward in my next situation I want to focus on. Now, as far as leaving behind, going back to me being selfish, I wasn't the best listener. So anytime I'm going back and forth with my partner, whether it be just a conversation or sometimes we all argue, I'm not waiting for her to finish. I'm usually cutting her off or I'm just waiting for her to, I'm, I'm listening, but I'm not listening. As soon as they finish talking, I'm ready to say my piece. And that's that. So I'm working on becoming a better listener as well. So 
I think for me, uh, what I've learned about emotional and physical intimacy, I guess intimacy on a certain level, I guess I'm trying to understand how to answer this question. So you basically, you're basically asking, what have we learned about ourselves about intimacy, correct? And what we want to leave behind? Mm-hmm. Okay, so to me, I know emotional intimacy, the biggest thing is emotional vulnerability and transparency at this point. Now, nobody's ever going to be 100% honest with you about everything because we're human. But at the same time, I think a level of transparency of knowing, okay, I need to say this, regardless how the outcome is going to be, that's a big level of emotional intimacy to me because the fact that you're trusting of your emotions, knowing that either it could blow up or it could be accepting, I think is very big for me. Um, I guess intellectual intimacy, um, just someone to say self-awareness. I would say self-awareness and patience is something I had to learn with even with myself on the journey, just having more, being more self-aware and being more patient with people and the people around me, not knowing everything has to be on my time. Um, mm-hmm. That was one of the big things, for example, everything isn't gonna be on your time and having mm-hmm. the patience to understand that, you know, let things work out the way the universe is gonna let it align. Um, the biggest thing I would say, leave behind at this point in my life was the ego and pride. My ego and pride, just growing up in a Nigerian household, as Akeem said, it's so much stuffed into you. You know, your ego and pride is kind of like your identity. And I realized my ego and pride destroyed my relationships. Mm-hmm. Like on the, on the biggest level, and I was just having a conversation. Like, I was like, yo, I will put my pride and ego above the love that we have for each other because I felt like that was most important. And a lot of times people don't realize, like Akeem said, when we have conflict, we'll sit around and have conflict with other people. And a lot of times we're protecting ourselves. You know, my biggest issue I would say was that I used to feel like if there was a problem in the relationship, then the relationship was a problem rather than the problem was just the problem. And the relationship as a whole should still be in. So one of the things I'm learning to let go of, honestly, is my ego and pride and learning to be more aware of my actions also. I I play a part. I before in the past I feel like me, but I've learned to let go and say, Bob, you play a part in a lot of things. You need to be more self-aware about it also. So letting go, I would say letting go, letting go of a victim mindset. When um is it an appropriate time to have a level of intimacy with someone that you're dating? What do you mean? Are uh, you talking about physical intimacy? There are four types of intimacy. So that's a great question. Um, so intimacy, you have physical, you have mental, you have spiritual and emotional. Okay. Um, so the reason I ask this question, that's the reason I'm coming from this is my personal opinion is that people are too intimate um, and they're too intimate too soon. Mm. Um, many times in relationships with those four types of intimacy. Um, when you hear people I know it's corny, but break down intimacy into me see. It's allowing someone to see and experience a part of you that should not be readily available and accessible to everyone. Um, With that, my observation is I see a lot of people jump way too quickly into different parts of intimacy. um, And and maybe they're, they're not at that point. And then you end up having this line of people who have experienced 
intimate parts of you that they probably should not have. Um, and I think that that is affecting a lot of people's mental, um, emotional wellness and health um, as well. I, so my question is, how are y'all and how, how and, and I'm, I'm, like, when I'm when I say this, let me say this with, I think people not saying that y'all do, but in general, when I speak to people, I think what I find is that they like to think one thing about themselves, but the reality of their actions and things does not always align with that. So it's one thing for me to say, well, yeah, I do this and this, this do that, but do I really a hundred percent? So what do you think that you have done, are doing, and the men around you are doing as far as discerning when is an appropriate time to share levels of intimacy with someone that they're dealing with? Uh, I think for me, I think personally for me, the way I look at it, um, it's hard to really put a timeline on that. I think it's based on your experience with that person that you're dealing with. I will always say, keep communication open, be transparent um, from the get go, from the, from, from the start of it. And as you guys continue to build and get to know each other, then everything for me personally, I think everything will align itself and you will know when it's time to enter to that realm of intimacy, whether it be emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, intellectual intimacy, you know what I'm saying? So it, it, it depends on the people involved because everybody's relationship is different. And so I want to go back. Transparent from the beginning. From the beginning. Okay. I feel like you need to be transparent from the beginning because a lot of people, when they first meet each other, like I said, it goes back to the pride and ego. People want to hide behind their true selves and put on this representation of this is who I would like you to see me as so you can accept me. And once they get you in, then you start seeing the real person. By that time, it's too late because you guys have experienced so much intimacy. So that's how people become in toxic relationships. Now, going back to what you said, a lot of people becoming intimate too soon. I think a lot of people are afraid to be alone and they don't want to have the whole journey of putting that work to themselves. It's a dark place being alone and looking at yourself and being accountable and peeling back the layers. So I think it's all, it all comes from fear of being by yourself. So people, a lot of people end up trauma bonding. So, but like I said, I, I think it's all subjective to the two people involved. My thing is just be transparent from the beginning. This is who I am. Take me as I am. If you can't handle it, okay, cool. Somebody else will, you know, and you shouldn't have a fear of doing that. And I think there's a yeah. difference between like transparency and oversharing too. I mean, yeah, you yeah. prove to yourself without telling all your business to someone within the first three weeks of meeting them, you know. Yeah, but but. I, but I, 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 I was gonna I, say I, I ain't gonna I, be transparent. I might be translucent. I mean, <laughs> okay, there you go. All right. <laughs> I might be translucent. Yeah, I let you see a good bit, but I'm gonna hold it up. <laughs> yeah. But thanks so for me. Reason why? Yeah. Reason why I do feel like there's a such thing as oversharing, but at the same time, I think it depends on the level of healing that's done with certain people. Because I feel like once once you reach a point that you're not afraid of being judged for who you are. Like you said, this is who I am taking leaving. You talking about your experience, things you've been through, just having a conversation with somebody, even if it's been two, three weeks, once you reach a level of not, there's no fear of being judged, I think that's when we start talking about levels of intimacy that you have with somebody 
you know, mm-hmm. it's just, you just, but I would say for me personally, my personal opinion, it happens naturally a lot of times, but I think the biggest reasons why we have so many dating and so many people just dating, dating, everybody's one of the dating pool has pee in it. I have to agree with Hakeem. A lot of people don't want to go through the process of heal and they don't want to So when we meet people, everybody we meet, that we find a little bit of a click, a little connection where we're, we're, we're dumping on them, we're dumping on them, but we're not doing it from a respectable and healthy, mature place. It's just like, okay, I'm trying to find my person. I'm trying to find my person. I'm trying to find my person. This person shows one, two things that we like, but we really don't know this person at all. So that's why we talk about the transparency thing. If you meet somebody, you're fully transparent with them. The first two, three weeks, like this is who I am. This is what we're talking. We're having conversations about transparency, intimacy, different things like that. And let's say, you know, of course, dating and going on dates and all that stuff is a part of the problem. But if you're if you're really having those questions about this is who I am, this is who I've been through. I think that helps the dating world also because we leave that part out. Let's be honest. When we meet people and date people, we leave out the shit we've been through. You know, yeah, some women, oh yeah, my last thing got dated on, I got cheated on. You know, this man's a bad man. But they used to ask me, I asked deep questions. I'm like, what happened in that relationship? What led to the cheating? And then I, for, you find out for some people, like, yeah, I just stopped being intimate with him. Then we just got, our lives got busy and we just didn't have sex no more, blah, blah, and third. And then he just, you know, he, he broke communication relationship had sex with somebody else, but the paint the the picture that was painted was this person's an evil person. But the reality is the person was just human. The person got weak. You know, not everybody who you break up with is a bad person. I think that's the biggest thing you find out in dating. Everybody talks about their ex. They're a super evil person. A lot of times it's not. A lot of times it was two broken people who got together in the first place. And then they that's was a just flag if someone goes on talking about how their ex was a devil. Yeah. But you know you, you hear that you see it every day on social media, though. Look at Facebook and, and Twitter, Instagram. Everybody talked about how everybody else is the problem except themselves. Yeah. The biggest thing I, I learned is that yeah, I, I had to tell myself, I, I am the problem. Yeah. <laughs> like the biggest thing I had to tell myself, I'm the problem. This person has their own problems. I have my own problems. I need to take care of my problems. Nobody's doing that. So we can sit here and say all day, oh, yeah, you know, this is going on, oversharing. <laughs> People are not taking care of themselves. They're not taking care of their problems. They're trying to find ways to mask it and hide it. So you do that within people. If you meet somebody that helps you take away your problems or the internal things that you don't have to think about within yourself that you've been sweeping up the rug for years, you're going to rock for a while until what happens? That dirt under that rug gets so big to the point you can't sweep anything under there no more. And then you probably blow up at the person or you and the person fall out and you're thinking this person was a problem. But the whole time you never take care. You never took the time to take care of yourself because we don't live in a society that tells us to love ourselves. That's the biggest thing also. There's not, it's not much shit out, I'm sorry, I mean to curse. It's not much stuff out here that teaches us to love out We love cursing. It's not much stuff out here that's really telling us to love ourselves. So we think the, the capability of loving ourselves comes from other people. It happens to a lot of people. Like when you sit and actually talk to people, when it comes to relationship, they believe the capacity of them loving themselves comes from somebody else. You need to show me how much I love myself. I have a question. So since y'all have been on this, I guess, self-realization, actualization, all this, um, and actively trying to be more vulnerable, because I think that's kind of what we're all talking about here is vulnerability. Have you been vulnerable with a partner and then it wasn't reciprocated? And how did that feel? And did it end the relationship? Because again, Um, I think vulnerability is also different from oversharing. Because vulnerability is not just sharing and putting your business out there. 
it's revealing something that's incredibly personal to, to you that many people don't know about you, like pulling back some, uh, you know, layers. You said, have I been even, I mean, I guess when it, when it comes to dating women, women are more receptive of emotions, I would say, than men are. Um, I would say the times I've opened up to people about my emotions, in my experience, I was gotten I've probably gotten more positive than negative. Cause I know a lot of guys speak about saying, Oh yeah, open somebody so and so and they were just like, Man, you a you, you know, you a punk, why are you crying so I never really had maybe one time, but I was young, I was early twenties. But I would say as a late adult, I realized when it comes to women, they're more receptive of how you feel mm. if they have that emotional capacity to understand it also. Um, my experience is, I would say, it's been more positive, though. Sorry to drag on. But I would say my experience has been more positive than negative. Okay. I would uh, I would agree with Bio. Mine has been more positive than negative. You know, uh, the only time it's been reciprocated negatively is when I was younger, my early 20s as well. So, for the most part, I, in my experience, most females are understanding. So, I haven't had no issues with that. That's also something I, mean, like, that I think people struggle with, too, is that if they are vulnerable, that person might use that as a weakness or use it against them in the future. Um, I don't know. I hope I haven't. I mean, that. That's but, well, that's the, I think sometimes people can, they can play on your emotions if they do know your weaknesses. I mean, I guess I have experienced that. Um, but. And that's a chance. I mean, I think that's, that's the sad truth about it. Opening up to people, you open yourself up to be taken advantage of. And I, as much yeah. as that sucks, it's 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 kind of a part of life, you know. It's just it's just strategic. Let's even dating is even strategic to the day, you know. It's like a chess game. You meet people, you know, and that's the sad part about it is that a lot of people opening up to them if they're not really receptive of how to, I guess, put it together the right way and understand your emotions, they can't take advantage of that. If somebody knows you're you're sensitive about certain things, and then when you conflict they use that activity against you you're going to be less trusting well i think that goes to um a concept that again this is my opinion um kirby and kaylee can tell you they've heard me say this several times i think that goes to using better judgment on who you choose to open up with those things about you know how you hear people they always say oh no judgment or i'm not judging that grinds my gears because I think people need to use more judgment, judge more, and we'll start making better choices and decisions. Yeah. I think it's a smart thing to judge situations for what they are, and then you can make better de de determinations. Maybe saying, well, hmm, based on this person's life and life choices and decisions and how they're moving, probably not somebody I want to really go there with. Because it's more than likely not going to end well, and this person isn't going to be able to have good, you know, actions depending on what's going on with them. So I, th I think it comes down to that a lot of times. Just more judgment. Fair enough. Um, as we get um, closer to the hour, and we're probably going to be wrapping this up a little bit soon, uh, one of the last pieces, and I assume Bio will rejoin us uh, once he's able to. There we go. Um, one of the last things that I want to kind of talk about, uh, Bio actually men mentioned about how dating is strategic or you have to be strategic in dating. And so that leads me to think about intention. So mm -hmm. I would love for 
both of the gentlemen to talk about how you all have learned to be intentional and what does intentional dating look like for you? I would say um, intentional dating is, I, I mean, of course, dating with a purpose. So when you meet that person, I'm not necessarily saying that, okay, they're going to be part of your future, but date with the plans of, okay, can I have kids with this person? Are we into the same things? How much do we have in common? Most people are just dating and just winging it. <laughs> so you really got to just kind of understand that person. You know, like I would say, I mean, I, I like to say, I like to vet a person before, you know, my first date is usually at a Starbucks or a coffee shop so I can talk to you. I don't want to go to a restaurant. I'm not going to a lounge. I'm not going to a movie. I want to have a real deep conversation with you. You understand? So I can get an understanding of who you are. So intentional dating is really just giving that person reassurance like, hey, this is what I'm looking at for the next five years of my life. How can you be a part of that? You know, is this something that you would like to be a part of? And is this something that we can work towards? You know what I'm saying? And, and also look at that person as a partner, a life partner to build with. Not Kirby, just something. That that... date. I, I missed the question, girl. I'm sorry. Oh, I'll repeat the question. Um, so, um, and the king was answering, so I'm sorry, I'll, I'll give you a chance for, to, to finish in just a moment. But bio, the question was, um, how are you learning to date intentionally and what does intentional dating look like for you? And so uh, Akeem was expressing uh, some of the different strategies that he uses to date intentionally. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, vetting the person and getting to know the person, actually seeing where they fit into my life years yeah. down the road. Prior to that, I mean, young, young Akeem was just winging it, dating to date. I see a girl that's physically attractive or I'm just trying to have fun. That's what I was on. But now I don't even want to waste no time anymore. Yeah. So. And I, I just wanted to ask Kirby, is Starbucks a date? For some people, not for me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, quite different. Um, I, I mean, like I said, it's not necessarily a date. It's, 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 it's a meetup. I want to get to know you. I want to talk to you. That's fair. Then the, actual, the actual official date. Okay. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't, me personally, I don't want to go on a date with somebody that I, 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 I need to know that we can connect. Yeah. You need a meet and greet before the date. There I, you go. Yeah, I think That's perfect, when, perfect terminology. <laughs> I think when it comes to intentional dating, I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier about rushing things. Um, when to me personally, intentional dating is figuring out where I'm at in my life. How does this person fit into it? What, what skills, qualities? personalities and stuff that do they have that is it compatible with me is find those compatibilities first so as far as and like you said as far as you, even before you go on the first date with somebody i think people don't people need to take more time to actually talk to these people you know what i'm saying you know text phone call facetime everything like you can really get to know somebody on a deep level just by talking to them you know the whole i met you one night hey let's go on a date on tuesday blah blah on the third which i think some people it works for some people but i think overall would help with dating if people actually talk more to figure out who this person is before jumping off and meeting meeting them in public. That way you're not wasting your gas, they're not wasting their gas, they're not wasting their time. You spend a week or two just talking to somebody, even if it's just every night, FaceTime, mm -hmm. they have that physicality there. You're asking questions, you're asking deeper questions, you're trying to figure out where this person's at. 
figure out who their lifestyle is, everything that's going on with them. Because you take someone on a date and you didn't even ask them what they alerted to, you go there and kill them. <laughs> so it's just like for me, it's so you saying be friends first. Well, I mean, it's not it's not really even just even be friends because nobody really meets somebody who they're attracted to and say, I just want to be friends. I think more about getting to know who the person that you're talking to on the other side. I mean, both sides, because you can be attracted to somebody all day. And I feel like attraction, physical attraction, men and women, it carries us some time. It makes us kind of skip the small, important steps when it comes to meeting people. Because most of the time when you first meet someone, that meet that mutual attraction physical. You know, you're both attracted to each other. You don't know nothing, you don't know nothing much about each other until you start talking more. But most of the time it's like we want to see this person again. That's the biggest thing. Let's think, let's be real. When you meet somebody, you're trying to figure out next time you're going to see this person. Not really speak to them. So you may speak to them a little bit, especially with guys. They'll be, oh, check on Saturday, man. We've got to go out Monday, Tuesday. But we want to see them again. But that Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you actually just talking to this woman, you'll figure out exactly who she is. So yep. Let me let me make sure I understand. So you meet, two people meet. Yeah. They are initially attracted to each other. Yeah, of course. Yep. And... They obviously want to see each other again mm-hmm. in in a in a dating scenario, but you're saying if we're going out on Saturday, Monday through Friday, let's talk. I mean, we 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 can set a date. Let's let's say for, I met somebody Saturday next Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I should be intentionally trying to figure out who this person is before Saturday comes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, Figure everything out on Saturday when I meet that person. Because so I guess it's, and you're doing that like this, just like talking on the phone. Yeah, like to text, like phone, find a person. Okay. I get. I guess the reason I ask <laughs> is because something that I think a lot of women, including myself, are conscious of is how much time you're you're giving to someone that you don't you're not on that level with yet. So like, if I meet a guy, like I'm not about to be honestly, I'm not about to be calling on the phone with you for hours and texting all day like i'm at work i'm tired like i got stuff to do you're not necessarily a priority yet is i guess what yeah, i'm getting yeah. at and yeah. it's, that's not saying something bad mm-hmm. it's just i just met you you're out of all the things going on in my life you're the newest thing there and you might not even be there long so mm-hmm. i may not prioritize giving I, time to talk to somebody yet but but one, but one I, you figured it out before, I would, you don't waste the time i'm going on that way, you, you would, money, you don't waste outfit, you don't waste makeup or none of that stuff. Let's say you met the person on Saturday. Yeah, we work. Yeah, we got things going on. you be concerned about my makeup because it's expensive. Uh, well, I'm Thank just, you. just in general. Let's say Monday, <laughs> Wednesday, you're communicating with the person. You find out by Wednesday, hey, listen, we're not really that compatible at all. Mm-hmm. But we've already scheduled stuff for Saturday. We can Now we can actually take the time to sit here and say, okay, well, let's not do this on Saturday. Yeah, it may be fun, but we know the outcome. We've had conversations. You're, you're, and I, and I, I think you're on to something there. I just don't want guys to think if a woman doesn't prior, because I've experienced that somebody wanting to have more time to talk. And I, I appreciate that because I love to talk. Yeah. Um, I, I really do. However, I remember, and I'm, I'm thinking of one particular example that week I was busy. I had a lot going on. I, I had a lot of work. I had a lot of personal stuff going on. Um, not necessarily in a bad way, but just, I was busy. And this person wanted a lot of time. I don't even know you. We just met, you know, so I'll see you when I see you. But I think that his intention was to do that. Let me try to get to know this woman and, you know, talk to her. And I appreciate it. But that you're not necessarily a priority yet. So I just don't want guys to necessarily take it personal if off rip. 
women aren't readily available to them. Did you? I get that part. I definitely get that part. I was just taking this on a communication standard rule. Wow. And I and I and I agree. And if and I think if somebody has the time and wants to reciprocate that, then that's great to be able to do that. I just think sometimes men, again, not necessarily y'all, but sometimes men misinterpret things or don't listen and don't hear. Like if I'm in, in that particular situation, I said, well, I appreciate that you want to talk, but I'm actually really, really busy this week. We already had agreed, you know, when we would have time for each other. And I'm, I'm, I will honor that, but I, I just can't sit up on the phone. Or you texting me, I'm at work, baby. You know, I can't, <laughs> you know, and I work in a field that can be dangerous for me to be distracted. So, you know, I got to stay alert, stay alive. Um, so I can't necessarily respond. You might have texted me at 10. I might not see it till five. Okay. You know, so I, I think, think I, I think with that, he's already shown you that his willingness to listen and understand and comprehend what you're saying. Mm. He wasn't really, he didn't care about what you had going on. Because mm. people are not stupid. They know what they're doing. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> you're telling him I'm busy. I will get with you. We've set a date. So we're going to talk at this time. Okay. He should wait, be patient and let his ego down. And wait and not try to control the situation. Thank so that you. was a red flag right there. I'll let you guess how long that lasted. <laughs> one more question and then uh I'm 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 done. Um Uncle Bio, Uncle King, what do mm -hmm. you value about women? Mm. As I've gotten older now. Oof, at the age at the is I'm not trying to sound messed up but their ability to keep going you know and still love and still be caring and still be emotionally available granted by the things they've been through I'm specifically i'm gonna speak black women because that's all i've dated but for me i've noticed a lot of men can't continue to keep going in the same effort and pace after things we've been through. So I feel like as time happens and things damage us, we become less, 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 and less receptive of being open again. So we carry a lot of damage with us. And I realize women have better support groups. They have better healing methods, not better healing methods. They're more open to support groups. And so when I get around my friends, male friends, I, we ask me and the king. We know when our friends are hurting, but they'll never say. Oh, yeah. We they'll, they'll never say anything about it. So their whole <laughs> answer to it will be, women are partying or something like that, drugs or anything like that. Yep. But for women, you guys have better support groups and methods to actually heal you guys. Now it may not be always the proper healing because depending on who's around your spaces, but at the same time, at least you guys have ability to keep going to give that same energy again. So that's why I say at this point, I'm really, I'm really, that's something I do value now. I'm not saying somebody's take so much pain, like, oh, let me see how much pain you could take. But at the same time, a lot of black women have a really, really good loving ability, man. We but are resilient. It sucks as a big advantage of it, but a lot of black dudes, I, I wish we, I, man, if we healed more, I, I think we would have, we would run to less situations where women even have to be that way because it would just come from an understanding point. This is who I am, this is who you are. 
this is what I've been through. You've healed it. You've healed that. Let's try to work it on work with each other. But I think, man, I hope my answer made sense. That's the best way I can say. Yeah, I appreciate that. Akeem, what do you value about women? Um, to add on to what Bio said, of course, the strength and the courage to continue to love, no matter what they've gone through, the resilience. Um, and also to add to that, the women's intuition. Um, one thing my dad always used to tell me growing up, he used to give this analogy. You can be going through the wilderness and trying to clear your path. A good woman, she's going to be behind you. And while you're clearing your path, all the stuff that you missed, she's picking up all the stuff that you missed. So a woman can see a lot of things that man can't see a lot of the time. We don't pay attention to a lot of details. Yes. We, so we, if you have a good woman behind you, and you're trying to win in life to be a strong man and be a great man at that, especially out here in this day and age, you meet a good woman to tell you, hey, look out for this. Look out for so-and-so. Oh, you don't need to be around him because he's a snake. He's jealous of you. Women see stuff like that. So your intuition is what I value the most, along with your strength. Now, going back to what Bio said, I feel like I need to touch on this because me and Bio have, we're two of a few out of our group that's actually went through healing. And me and Bio have conversations all the time and we can assess and see when our friends are going through something and they hide it behind ego. And like you said, going to party and messing with different women. Like we have a, a group chat that we're in every day and I can break down probably five of my, my fat brothers and I can tell what they're going through just by the way they talk in the group. Yeah. Okay. You know, piggyback what you said. I'm sorry to keep piggybacking, but yeah. Right about women see things that we don't see, and until you and the value of a woman's mind, and I think that's the biggest problem when it comes to us as men. We need to learn the value of a woman's mind. Yeah, because there's things. Even my last relationship, she was so good at seeing things I could not see until afterwards. I was very, very appreciative of it, like the small things, like you said. The, really, really small things she saw all the time. So when it came to me and her, I'm like, dang, I didn't notice that. Oh, she's right. I'm third, but I wish I valued it more. But at the time, I thought it was nitpicking. But in the reality of the situation, it was more of, I care about you, so I'm pointing things, these pointing these things out to you. So when you value somebody's mind more, you start to realize that this person expressing their opinion is because they love you. If that answer makes sense. Yeah. Can I, can I make an observation? Yeah. <laughs> Why are <laughs> I feel like Nicky Potter says so crazy, man. I feel it too. <laughs> like what? <laughs> I, I just, I, and this is an observation that I've always made. Well, it is interesting that Kirby asked this question. is because I noticed that in relation to people talking about women, specifically black women, and their appreciation of us and things like that, or what they like about us, it's, it's usually in tandem of us doing things for other people, not just in being who we are. Yeah. And that is something that I've, I've been very conscious of, of do people only appreciate me for 
what I give them, how I make them feel, what I do for them, or do they just like me as a person? And I think that all women struggle with that because of that. Now, I think naturally because people see women as nurturers, that's what they identify us, you know, with those nurturing qualities, which is some of the things that y'all were talking about, our ability to continue loving, our resiliency, you know, our ability to have your back and see things that you may not see. But I think that women, a lot of times, especially when they get a little older, you see women kind of going through these little crises of outside of caring for your people around you, whether that's your children, your, your spouse, your family, who are you and what are you and what do people value in you? I want to change narratives. I don't have children. Um, I'm not opposed to having children, but I'll be okay if I don't have children. But if I did, I would not want my children to say, the thing I loved about my mama is even when we were struggling, she was able to do this or she could make a way out of nowhere. That, like it's always having to do with her doing for others or something, overcoming something hard. I would like for my children to say the thing I love about my mom is she was always happy or she did things that made her feel good. She took time for herself. She enjoyed drawing. You know, my mom really enjoyed th making things beautiful and and curating the space around like you know what i mean like she my mom loved traveling and she would tell us about her trips and did those things and i i would love to change the narrative about the things that are valued in us as well I, in general I, I think those things are i wouldn't say that i didn't value those things because like i said i valued the way she laughs her jokes how happy she does certain things those things were a part of the relationship but i think when i said value the mind, I guess I didn't encompass all that with it because I get what you're saying. It goes back to the point I made earlier. We're not really taught to love ourselves. So we taught love is through servitude. So when people talk about what they love about somebody else, because let's be real, um, Kirby Nicole, like if somebody says, what is a real man or, or what is a real woman? Most of the time they're speaking something that's in servitude for somebody else. That's something that they're doing for somebody else. They never said, oh, a real man takes care of itself. A real woman takes care of herself. She reads books. She takes. She heals. She's healthy, in physical, mental. Nobody says that. You go to the internet right now. Everybody's arguing about what a real man and woman is in objective of servitude or somebody else. So what you're saying is absolutely true. I would love for somebody to say, "I love what I love most about my mom or father was the way they laughed, the way they explained books to me, the way they did this, and the way they spoke their mind. How how overly expressive there was. You know, it's just." It, we notice those things, but I think it goes back to what we said. We notice those things to people, but we need to learn to value it more. I think that's the biggest problem. We don't we don't value too much about who people truly are when they're not giving anything to us. You know, it goes back to a word we said earlier: selfishness. Selfish. Which is not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> you should be selfish in a lot of ways because you have to take care of yourself first. But I think sometimes it's a little overwhelming for women um and and also going to I, I thought it was interesting the thing you said about women seeing things y'all mentioned um you know Akeem, even the example of you know I'm, I'm coming behind you and i'm seeing stuff you missed um yeah. I think that is a thing about womanhood because we when you live in a world where from a very young age you realize that you are very vulnerable and that there are a lot of people trying to take advantage of you you start seeing little things everywhere you have mm. to for survival yeah. Um, I have to pick up on micro things to see, is this, you know, person trying to come at me the wrong way? 
Because if not, that could put my safety in jeopardy. So I think that that's very true that we, we do see things a lot differently, you know, because we have to. Mm. And then vice versa, I could talk about how men see things, y'all, the way y'all see things being an advantage. Um, and, and maybe I wouldn't see it a certain way, but he picked up on it. Yeah. And, you know, that, that had my back. Um, one more question. Yeah. I have a question, and you have to be honest to start with you, Bio. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah. Have you ever been dishonest with your therapist, whether it was downplaying maybe your role in a situation when really explaining it, um, maybe not using your coping skills like you should have, um, or like your therapist has walked you through, um, or just any, or, or admitting certain facts. Um, like, for example, I might say, like, yeah, I took a walk, I got really upset, I took a walk, and I might leave out the fact that, like, I took, like, two shots because I was angry and I need to take the edge off. And then I took a walk, you know? Yeah. I might leave that out when I'm talking to my I took a walk downstairs to bust the window out of this truck, but I took a walk. <laughs> yeah, I took a walk, you know? It was a short walk. Me, me, personally, there was a time I realized I was dishonest with my therapist about certain things because when I go back maybe a few weeks or a month later and discuss the same topic, he'd be like, you didn't say that last time. You know, and there were times, and and sometimes he knows he's talking he person. He said, "I know it's more to the story, but I'm not going to pull it out of you. But I want you to find a way to feel comfortable saying it. Like even just speaking on just things I've been through and just relationship wise, you notice people sh change when they shift the blame from when they shifted from blaming to observing an overall situation. That's one of the biggest things he taught me. Is like, okay." Look at the overall situation. Look at both parts. Put your, put your feet in somebody else's shoes and look at the overall picture. Look at it from your point of view. Look at it from their point of view. Well, I'll come back weeks later. He'll be like, okay, you said this last time a few weeks, a month ago. Now you're saying the truth. And he and he, he he's really good at it. Some stuff he don't even write down. He'll just, he knows the conversation. So yeah, I, I have, but when I have been, a lot of therapists know when you're trying to make yourself look like nothing's wrong with you not well not space nothing's wrong with you but the story everybody's story has two sides to it you know they always say two sides and the truth but the two sides actually still make up the truth because how you feel and how you view something that was still your truth but only the biggest problem that i had to learn when it came to therapy that scares me sometimes is that the brain can't process a fake memory from a real one and that's the thing a lot of people don't know. If you continuously tell yourself something in your brain over and over, even if it's not real, your body's gonna start responding to it as if it was real. It's, mm -hmm. it's a weird logical thing, the way the brain works. The brain cannot distinguish a real memory from a fake memory. And whatever you're processing thinking is that that's the one he explains to me. Like when a lot of people express their problems or dishonesty, like you said, dishonesty about a situation, they'll leave out certain facts and their brain is processing it in a way of this is what truly happened until weeks later they get an overall standpoint like this is actually what truly happened and this is what causes reaction and they're really good at therapists are really good at picking up on that though they won't say i don't want to say nothing like oh why you lie but they'll notice how your stories change up and they'll make you revisit certain stories and they're like okay now you see where your where your input was at so when you were doing that was that coming from you had told yourself a version of the story and that's how you presented it? Or I was were you being intentionally uh, maybe omitting certain facts or deceitful? I think for me at the time when I was 
go to certain stores. I was coming from a hurt place. And when you're coming from a hurt place, you kind of want people to comfort you. So you kind of- So you're being deceptive. Oh, sorry. Say it one so more time. you were being deceptive to get the therapist on your side? In a, in a sense, let's be honest. When most people go to therapy, they're hurting already. So they, they kind of want somebody to give them professional comfortness in a way that they don't want to feel the major responsibility of it. So I would say I was at a point where I was like, okay, I was hurting. I would say I would say the stories, maybe 70%, but that 20% is actually the reason why everything probably blew up in the first place. You know? So I guess to answer your question, hurting and healing will give you two different when you, when, you, when, you, when you speak a story from a hurt place and you speak a story from a healed place, you notice how the stories are kind of a bit different. There's more accountability. I would say that. Okay. It's more. It, it was more accountability. There we go. That's the word I'm looking for. I'm sorry, y'all. I took so long to say that. It was more accountability. That's what it was. All right. What about you, Akeem? Yeah, I definitely lied to my therapist, especially at the beginning. <laughs> Yeah, especially especially in the beginning, because it was new for me. Like Bio said, he was going at twenty three. My first time going to therapy was twenty twenty, because I always had that pride. Like I'm not going to a shrink to talk about my problems. They don't know me. So, in the beginning, yeah, I lied because I didn't really know the person. My therapist was a black woman, so I, I kind of had to ease into getting comfortable with being. I didn't really understand the process. And of course she knew, I mean, that's what they're, you know, that's what they're, that's, that's their profession. So they know if you're trying to hide something. So her tactic was very, um, how she dealt with me. She made me go back to my childhood. And then we started from there and we started peeling back the layers and whatnot. And then we started and that that's when I found out that, you know, the root cause of why I was doing what I was doing, how I was acting. But yeah, I, <laughs> definitely lied. And where do you think the source for you came from? Was it you just didn't want to let her down or her have the, a certain perception of you? Or was it like, I just don't want her all up in my business or? Perception. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, judge, I was, I was in fear of being judged a certain way. I'm like, I don't know this person. She may look at me crazy if I tell her that I did this or did that, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. or she may think I have a problem. So but um, as I got more into it, I understood what it was for, especially when she went back to my childhood. I think that was the key for me because it was so it was years and years of just I'm not going to say damage, but years of just habits piled up on each other that I had to untangle. Mm -hmm. And when I got through that, I was like, OK, I get what she's doing. So <laughs> I became open book after that. And, even now on this on this podcast or even in person, if you meet me, bio will tell you, man, I'll tell you everything. Well, not everything, but I would I would I don't mind telling people my story to, you know, kind of inspire them to do to be better. So everything? No, nah, not everything. Not everything. <laughs> nah. You know, words mean things you gotta be specific. <laughs> um what was the story? Um, the man found a magic mirror. Um, and it was like the mirror, mirror on the wall. And he was like, you know, I'll grant you a wish. So he said, mirror, mirror on the floor, on, on the door. 
make my Johnson hit the flow <laughs> and his dick fell off. <laughs> and the moral of the story is be specific. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. So we got to be specific. All right, well, we can keep this conversation going forever, but I think we're going to go ahead and cut it right here, guys. We appreciate y'all, and we're going to hit the end of the show. We would love for y'all to keep coming back um, next okay. season, and, and let's just keep this conversation flowing. Also, we would love for y'all to join us on our Extra Wet Wednesday, um, this coming Wednesday, and then in our new season as well. Every Wednesday, okay. 8 p.m., y'all know we go live on Instagram. We're going to start going on YouTube as well. Um, for some good conversation and let's keep it going and invite your friends to come in as well. Um, yep. The single ones. You said what? The single ones. Oh, uh, we have a, a we have <laughs> a lot of we have a we have an influx of those. Yeah, oh, we got an influx of the married ones always in our inbox, but we won't talk about that right now. Um, <laughs> we are at the bottom of the show, so first of all, I want to remind everybody what our book of the month for September twenty two. 2022 is Kirby. Let them know. Absolutely. So uh, our book of the month for September is All About Love, New Visions uh, by Bell Hooks. Um, it was one of her, her greatest works. One quote is it from uh, from the book is to truly love, you must learn to mix various ingredients, care, affection, recognition, respect, commitment, and trust, as well as honest and open communication. You can get a copy of that book on all platforms where you can purchase books, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, or maybe even your local bookstore. But again, our book of the month uh, for y'all to chew on while the aunties are on a break. It's all about love, new visions by Bell Hooks. There it is. Again, we encourage y'all to read, exercise your mind. You're never too old for that. A lot of people haven't read since they graduated from school. Crack a book open <laughs> or look at it, listen to it, or read it on your electronic device. Do something to keep your mind working. All right, sometimes we go to get your food, you're excited, you take it home, you open it up, you take a bite, and your fries ain't even hot. You got to do a return. We like to call them let goes. Anybody got to let go for the week that they got to get off their chest? Mine is simple. I would like to let go of summer. It's September, and I looked at the um, forecast, and it's supposed to be 90 three days out of this coming week. So I really wish that Mother Nature would just really stop boxing the fuck out of me. Um, and just leave me alone. Let the sun do its stuff fizzle. Let the leaves, the ground temperature is fine. The leaves are already turning yellow. The, the, the trees know what's up, but the sun and the atmosphere don't. So I would like to let go of summer 2022, specifically in Atlanta. <laughs> Understood. You literally needed to fall back. Yes. Yeah. Free my nigga the sun. He ain't did nothing but keep it 100. Okay. <laughs> wow. I'm done with you. <laughs> Dad joke. Anybody else got any let goes for the week? Guys? I guess I would say for me, let go would probably be um, anxiety. Let, let let go of anxiety. And I know that's a hard thing to say because naturally it happens to some people just naturally. But learn to understand that when you're having anxiety, go through breathing practices. Learn how important breathing is through anxiety. Having breathing methods and breathing practices. Because a lot of times with anxiety, we can't, it's usually we're, we're we're contemplating the future of something. We're living in future tense. That's where anxiety lives at. Learn to breathe, processing, and, and understand the moment you're in. Take every moment second by second, day by day. All right. So we letting go of summer. We letting go of anxiety. Anything else we letting go of? I would like to let go of putting pressure on myself and being hard on myself and actually living the now, living the present, and actually celebrate all the accomplishments, all the accomplishments that I've 
uh, had uh, in the in the present, you know, and the accomplishments that I will get in the near future. So let me stop being hard on myself, man. So I'm a perfectionist yeah, at times. Biggest critic. Yeah. Well, let us all give you a good job. Good job, Black Dove. Good job. <laughs> you doing so that. good. We are proud of you. For sure. Keep moving. You're doing it. One step at a time. That's all you can yeah. do. Yes, ma'am. Yep. Um, all right. Anybody, any other let goes? All right. Well, that's what we letting go of. We letting go of this hot ass summer that's in its third season and won't go away. We letting go of anxiety. And we are letting go of not giving ourselves the credit for what we are doing and being too tough on ourselves. Yeah. I love it. Aunties and uncles is all about self-love today. All right. And cooling off. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Sometimes we go to the function. Y'all know what we like to do. We got way too much food. We need everybody to wrap it up with some good old aluminum foil or them styrofoam to-go plates. We like to take, want you to take it home, eat off on it a little bit later. We like to call this our what? To-go box. Something we want you to carry with you throughout the next week. What do we have in our to-go box? Anybody? Uh, Bio kind of already gave one, which was the exercises. He, 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 he gave us a two-for-one special, uh, an all-star, if you will. Um, anyone else have a, a to-go box? Because I kind of got one. Short. Uh, I, 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 um, I would say be good to the people that love you. And in the sense of understand that if you're going to love somebody, you got to love the good side of them and the shadow side to them. And for people to understand mm. everyone has a shadow side to them, learn to, I feel like the only way you can absolutely love someone purely in that is loving who they are, the good parts and loving the shadow side to them. The parts that they're afraid to speak of, the parts of them that may not be socially acceptable, the parts of them that is a part of who they are. You know, I think that's very important. Also loving the shadow side of people actually lets you love them in a deeper more intimate level because you're seeing them for who they are. And that that's our parents, our friends, relationships, everybody. Like as I've gotten older now, just even with therapy, I the shadow side of people and I'm learning to be more appreciative because you're actually exposing that side to me. And it may not be pretty, it may not be what I like, it may not be what I want to see, but that's still a part of you. I love the shadow. Okay. I love that. Kirby, you said you had one? I do. Um Terms and conditions. Know what your own terms and conditions are. Um, that's another way of saying, know what your boundaries are. Um, enforce your terms and conditions um, and make sure that the terms and conditions that you have for yourself and for others is something you can be consistent with. Good word. Any other to-go boxes? All right. Well, I love it, you guys. We got some good to go boxes and returns right here for the season finale, episode 10 of this season. I appreciate y'all. Yeah. All right. Well, Kirby, let the people know where they can connect with us. Absolutely. If you don't already, if you're listening to us or you're watching us, you can follow us on Instagram at extra crispy, extra wet, spelled um, in standard American English. Y'all know we don't like people that don't know how to spell. So if you can't, leave us alone. You can also email us your comments, questions, concerns, uh, emotional outbursts, or if you want to be on the show or have ideas for what you want to see. So hello at extra crispy, extra wet. Um, obviously, join us for our last uh, uh, extra wet Wednesdays. It's coming Wednesday on Instagram at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm on the meeting. Um, 
And of course, I want to give everybody here an opportunity to shout out their um, their social media and anything that you all have coming up that you want the people to know about. Uh, King, we can start with you. Yeah, uh, everybody can follow me at Black Dove Brand, which is all one word. Everything's no spaces, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can search Black Dove on Apple Music, Spotify, Tidal, all your streaming platforms for my music. I currently have a single out now called Yoga, which I'll be performing in Columbia, South America, December 1st through the 5th. Uh, so the link is in my bio for the actual excursion and the packages for the retreat. It's a yoga retreat. So they've invited me out to perform the song. So, um, yeah. Cool. And bio? Uh, IG handle bio B A Y O 1914. Um, I don't have much coming up really, but um, that's about it. Yeah, that's it. Make sure that you support at Black Dove Brand and follow bio 1914. Um, and of course, Auntie Killer Kaylee, um, at Nick's Picks. And of course, like I said, Extra Pits, we Extra Wet. We appreciate y'all rocking for us, rocking with us, and for us. Uh, for us, by us, uh, for five seasons, and uh, we're gonna take us gonna take a break and uh, try to get a little bit, a little bit hotter in the kitchen. We want to be cooking with, with the four hundred degree grease uh, for season six, and we're gonna bring some really great things to y'all. So we appreciate you listening, and continue to engage with us. I'm gonna hand it back to Auntie Nick, but uh, give us the benediction. All right, all hearts and minds clear. Yes, ma'am. Yep. All right, again, thank y'all for rocking with us. This is the end of that good old season cinco. <laughs> and like Auntie Kirby said, we are in the lab. We're gonna be cooking up some really good new recipes for y'all for next season. Can't wait to join Bio. Thanks for coming back with us again, Akeem. Welcome to the family. Appreciate Come you. Time. We expect to see your All face right. around here some more now. All right, I got you. All right. For sure. All right. All right. <laughs> All hearts and minds clear. Again, y'all could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. The aunties is gonna be gone for just a few weeks, and we'll be back. We promise, just a couple weeks. And we're going to be back. But y'all know we don't say goodbye around here. We keep it straight Atlanta. And we say what? I ain't getting shouted.